The hardest secret I had was covering up the fact that I was gay. And I knew this from an extremely young age, a young boy. I didn't want to be found out. Gosh, I suffered and I struggled for many, many years and years and years was my internalized homophobia. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to go to your grave with? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Lupe. Now, Lupe, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What? is your secret the hardest secret i had was covering up the fact that i was gay and i knew this from a very young young extremely young age a young boy i just recognized it in my system and so i acted as as if i would always be looking at older men and Mm -hmm. there's there's um how would i say there's a story behind that in itself why i was looking at older men so the secret was I didn't want to be found out. Gosh, I suffered and I struggled for many, many years and years and years was my internalized homophobia uh, because in the community that I lived in, uh, it was frowned on, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. I'm I'm Latino. I'm Mexican, Mm -hmm. uh, migrant farm workers. And unfortunately, whether it's true or not, I've heard, I've seen that with the Latin community, the men, uh, it's a machismo community. And it's, uh, you know, a man's a man and anything less than a man's a man is not to be tolerated, uh, liked or accepted. And I just felt that all around me. So I struggled and I would cringe in my skin. Just the fact that they might find out that I was gay. So at a young age, you said you knew this about you, but you were, were you homophobic because you is that is that what you said? Because there was so much at the beginning. I I want to make sure we hit. Oh, honey, I <laughs> internalized that homophobia into like, myself. What would you do? Like what internally? What did you do? Internally, I would feel ashamed. Mm. I would feel less than, and I would fear that somebody would find out and call me a fag or a queer. Or right. in Spanish, in Spanish, it's Joto Maricon. And believe it or not, Brianne, I acted as if when I started being about 19, 20, 21, 22, my world revolved from living in a straight community mm-hmm. and kind of fluctuated, went over into a gay community. But even at that, I said, well, I'm with my gay brothers and sisters, but I carried this internalized homophobia till I was 59 years of age. No. And I started... Yes. Even you, even when you were out at 59. Acting as if I didn't care. 
acting like I was gay, gay and proud. And the secret was I wasn't. I still was concerned about when I had uh, relationships with people, I'd meet them maybe at the store or at a, I was a customer at a gas station or something. I feared that they would maybe sense that I was gay. And I think it was pretty obvious I was gay. That's that's the whole thing. I mean, after about two quick seconds, they can figure the T, right? <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. It's interesting, though, the way that I was able to cure that. Uh, so I want to just say that was my biggest secret I had, that I was afraid of my sexuality, being gay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. internalized homophobia, till I turned 59 and I started going to slaw recovery programs. And I would go to a meeting down the street from me in Sherman de la Oaks. Mm-hmm. And I started when I was 59. I went to gay meetings for sex recovery. And mm-hmm. I might have popped into slaw when I was 61, maybe. And this is the damage that we can carry for a lifetime, the damage that we carry. Mm-hmm. I walked into that meeting And I saw all these people, men and women, there was about 60, 65 people there. The first thing, the first thought, and I shared that at that meeting was, these people aren't gonna like me because I'm a fag. These people aren't gonna like me because I'm a queer. They're not gonna accept me. They're gonna turn me away. And I felt about, if you could actually see my fingers pinching, I felt that small. I felt horrible. I just felt horrible. And so when I walked in, I heard the people starting to share. I was scared. Even though I had been in two years of recovery in the gay setting for sex and love addicts, I didn't learn a lot, unfortunately. And that was my doing. But when I went to the meeting, I said I felt bad. And what really saved me was this. When I heard this girl raise her hand and share, and she said, and my girlfriend, my ears went up like a rabbit. <laughs> like, huh? Did I just hear her? And that very moment, I felt safe that there was another one like me in there. And I just want to wrap up by saying about that internalized homophobic. I actually was able to ingrain and really get deep inside those meetings. I think it was about two years after I raised my hand and I just simply look around the room and I said, it's your fault. I'm, I'm pointing at people. I'm the pointer. Right? I point at people and said, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. And they're looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I said, it's your fault. It's your fault and your fault. It's your fault that you have made me feel comfortable in my skin. You guys have accepted me and my internalized homophobia is gone because of you. I found a place of comfort and security that I was not going to be abandoned. I was going to be thrown away. Aww. But that's what the meeting did for me on that aspect. Yeah. I mean, for me too, when I walked in, I was terrified. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in the chair and like, I just couldn't stop crying. And it was for me, it wasn't about like terrified. It was in the sense of like terrified that these were my people and I was never alone mm. anymore. And I looked around at these you know, 60, 70 people. And we were all completely different, all ages, races, economics, all of it. We we're all so different and we were mm-hmm. all the same. And I, that's what I love about the meetings. But I do actually want to go back again because you said so many good golden nuggets and then we just breeze through. But I want to hear why you went after older men. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So let's let's hear about that. Oh, child, let me tell you. Uh, I'm going to get racist here. It's a good racist, I think, because people just laugh. They go, in my particular taste of men, I always jokingly said, if once you go black, you never go back. That's the one. But my my take (laughs) is, if it ain't white, it ain't right. (laughs) 
Oh my God. <laughs> I know if you, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but here's the, here's the, here's what happened to me. Not only was I internalized homophobic as a child till I was about 61 and, 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 and resolved that I no longer feel like that ever, but growing up, we were migrant workers. Uh, we lived in a house that uh, it was just of wood. It, 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 I don't even know. It had siding, had a roof, but we could see through the walls. Where did you grow up? Washington State. Okay. Uh, up in Washington State. Uh, Yakima Valley, if anybody's heard of Yakima Valley. Somebody going to be listening to this uh, podcast and go, Shout oh, out I'm here, to I'm Yakima here. Valley. Yeah, I'm here in Yakima. But no, I grew up there and we were very, very poor. And... On top of being homophobic in my sexuality, I hated my skin color. I hated my skin color. I hated being dark because even in my own tribe of people, um, family members or friends, they would call me racist names. Uh, they would call me shadow. What? Yeah. They would call me shadow. They, they would call me ash. They would call me midnight. Uh, Were never- you darker than your? Family members? I was the darkest one, yeah. But you know what? I took that on. I, 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 it made me feel really, really bad. It made me feel so bad, Brianne, that we had an outhouse. We didn't have plumbing. We didn't have a sink. Well, we had a, I think we had a sink in the kitchen. We had a, uh, a, a stove with wood. But anyway, uh, it worked on me so bad that as a young little boy, I would go out to the back and I would literally cry. I would oh, cry. It breaks my heart. I would cry and I would ask God, why did you make me dark, God? I don't want to be dark, God. I want to be white. I want to be white. I don't want to be dark. And hopefully this doesn't go too far off the path regarding that. No, I, no. I've, I've, you know, I've also shared this with other people of color, whether it's uh, black or brown. Uh, you know, that old thing about Oscars so white. Remember that mm-hmm. situation, Oscar so white? You know, when they were that brew that brouhaha about the Academy Awards, they were saying Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now But explain that to the listeners. Yeah, okay. So they know what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. The problem growing up in the fifties and sixties as a young boy, we got a TV, I think when I was seven or eight, I would turn on TV and I would look and all I would see is uh Roy Rogers. Fathers Know Best, The Brady Brunch. And I've heard other black people and brown people tell me, I suffered from those images on TV because I'm looking at the TV and I didn't see anybody like me. And what happens happens with that is, as I'm sitting there looking at it, that's where it got to, if it ain't white, it ain't right in my mind. And I think along with other people of color and I couldn't identify it, but it made me feel bad. So older white men, so what happened? I wanted to be white. So sexually, sexually, I was steered towards white men because I thought that was the prize. That was that was a golden ticket, a white man. Right. That makes sense if that's all you see, especially in the media. And we're so obsessed with the culture of television and movies that that would be what you are attracted to and wanting to almost not become, but be a part of. Um, Exactly. Be part of. Now, I will say this about that. It has tremendously changed for the better. I can now turn on TV. It was a gradual process, but it's it's happening. I see black folks. I see Latins. I see Asian. I'm so happy to see more Asians on TV. I think we should all be represented on TV. But anyway, that affected me in Oshway. And uh, I'm glad to say that 
this thing about only white guys, number one. But number two, a white man, usually 10, 15, 19, 20 years older than me, what happened was I was looking mm-hmm. for daddy. I was mm-hmm. looking for a daddy figure because I didn't like my father because he was a Mexican. He was brown. He was dirty. He was less than. I didn't want my father. I didn't. I mean, I loved my dad. Were you close to your father? I, I was close to my father, but inside the mental main, I was never mean to my folks. Uh, I, matter of fact, I shared in a meeting last night about that. But my folks did everything they could to feed us, clothe us, and house us. Uh, they never hit us. They never verbally talked down to us or berate us. But just the image that he presented, I I didn't want nothing to do with that. I kept looking for the white white man. And lo and behold, that that was part of my journey when I was uh, growing up. White, white, white. But it has changed. Uh, mm-hmm. I have been able to actually appreciate, admire, uh, be attracted. And being at my age, I don't do a lot anymore. But uh, just mentally, I'm attracted to uh, uh, men of color, uh, whether they're black or uh, uh, Middle Eastern, Indian, Oriental, Asian. And when did so when did that switch for you? Uh, Late, late, late in the game, late, late, late in the game uh, that I was able to appreciate. And believe it or not, uh, as I was growing up someone would point out a very attractive black man or a very attractive Indian or a very attractive Middle Eastern. I would say, Oh, hell no, I don't want that. It mm-hmm. was so ingrained in me that again, if it wasn't white, it wasn't right, but that's changed. Was there something that like opened your eyes to seeing, you know, the connection with other ethnicities? Was there something that specifically happened? No, I, I don't think anything specifically happened that allowed me to, Appreciate. Uh, appreciate and maybe be attracted to. I think it was just uh, a lifetime evolution of me changing. That's really mm. what it was. It wasn't one significant thing. It just happened on its own, gradually, gradually. Probably through like working on yourself. Yeah. Maybe you just like yeah. opened and seeing yeah. all the different people in our rooms, yeah. you oh. know, hearing their stories, you see the beauty of everybody's you know, differences. Yeah, and, and you know what's interesting too, though? Not only was I not attracted to men of color, and it's changed. I, I, you know, this is a secret. This is a secret. I, I wasn't attracted to heavyset people. I didn't want to be bothered. Mm. No, you had to have a slim body. You, you, you had, it didn't have to be muscle. I don't really care for muscle builders, but it had to be slim and trim because it was all based on sexuality. It was the right. physical thing, physical thing. I want the illusion yeah. of what they look like instead of who they were on the inside. Yep. Now, I'm I'm so happy and proud to say that I can actually look at a man who has extra weight on him and look at the man and not the physical oh. appearance. I can actually look inside and know that if they're a loving, beautiful, wonderful person as opposed to the visual cuz that's all it was for me, a visual visual took me to a lot of places that weren't very good. So, so here's my question for you. I always like to ask about the seven deadly sins Mm -hmm. when we talk about our secrets and the things we hide from ourselves and others, but in the character defect sense, not the religious sense. So I'm going to name them for you. And we talked a lot about the secrets of, you know, what your sexual preference was and all that. So let's tie it to that. So I, we have pride, greed, lust, gluttony, 
envy, anger, and sloth? Oh, lust. Lust, Mm -hmm. definitely. Lust. Well, you know, uh, lust, I've shared in meetings that uh, as long as I was awake and maybe, maybe out of my residence, uh, wherever I was living, and I was on the street, I was on the prowl. 24-7, instantly sizing the men that I saw. And if I was attracted, I would shuffle on over acting like if nothing's happening, but I would try to physically put myself to where they visually could see me and maybe mm. they'd be interested. So I, I suffered a tremendous amount of lust. Everything was lust, lust, 24-7. Uh, as far as envy, oh, I'd be envious of people. Uh, you know what? Envy, comparison. And believe it or not, I don't do this anymore, but I was always comparing myself to others. And the mm-hmm. bad thing about that, which envy launched that comparison, the sad thing is when I would compare, I would always end up on the bottom. Always. Always felt less, never enough, didn't have enough. So I had a lot of envy, had a lot of lust, greed. Ah, I've always been a giving person, but if somebody told me, he said, uh, you seem to give so much of yourself that you let, you're, you're left lacking. Yeah, well, that's kind of what you were saying at the beginning, that you were a nice person and you give and you give, but you were giving with conditions. Thank you. Yes, always with conditions of the payback. And that's greedy because it's to actually to fill you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you <know? it> <laughs> don't you know who I am? I was that what, people, don't you know what, who I am? <laughs> what what you, I don't know anything about that. Ah, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Pride, that's a mixed message for me. I had no pride, you know, because pride to me is connected with, I had no pride. I, I, I had no self-esteem. Honey, I've shared before that sometimes people say, well, my self-esteem was at the bottom of the barrel. I always said they lifted the barrel up, moved it over, put my self-esteem down, and then put the barrel on top of my self-esteem. Oh, my God, I love None. that. I had I absolutely that. no pride slash self-esteem. I didn't know what that was. So when you're looking at these two, where do you think these secrets like harmed or who did they benefit? They didn't benefit nobody because my self-pride, self-false pride, uh, acting as if I had it together uh, all along, my my world was falling along. Not only am I recovering, I don't say recovery ever, uh, recovering second of because uh, this is my particular situation for the rest of my life. It's been all of my life. Uh, I will be a sex and love addict till the day that God calls me home. I will be suffering from this. And it's up to me to take my medicine, which is meetings, doing this part. I've never done a podcast. Well, I'm so happy you did. <laughs> I mean, you know, I said I'm a lifer. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm in this program yes. for the rest of my, I'm going to be yes. like 90 coming in with my cane. Yeah. And be like, hi, guys. Yeah. You know? You know, I, I want to say something, um, and I hope you don't edit this out, and I hope your people are hearing it, because this is not uh, something that I don't say anything I don't mean, number one, and I don't do anything I never wanted to do. People know that about me. It's like, if I say yes, it's because I want to do it. If I say no, it's like, good luck with that, all right? But I want to <laughs> say this specifically regarding you, Brianne. To me, to me, to me, you are one of the most beautiful, beautiful Let's start out this way. You're one of the most beautiful, prettiest girl that I have ever known. Aww. And I mean that. You're so pretty. But I was telling somebody that I was going to do this AirPod or 
podcast. She goes, it's not AirPod, it's podcast. <laughs> I told her, you know, this girl is so beautiful, so pretty, but you know what? She's so beautiful inside. She's oh. such a sweet girl. You would, you would sometimes think people that look like that would have an attitude, uh, would not give you the time of day. I said, she has always, always been so nice to me. And, and I see inside of her more than just the outside. So I wanted to add that. I want people to know oh. who you are, that you are an extremely good person, a nice person. Oh, thank you. That means so much coming from you. I mean, we've been on this journey for many years. Yes, so yes. you saying that is so sweet. But I do, I have to ask you one more sure, question, sure. even though you said the most amazing thing about me and I'm going to keep it in. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> so, my last question for you, if any of the listeners are going through all the things you described or even one of the things you described to me, what would be your advice to them? I don't give advice. I don't give advice. Uh, many times I've had sponsees or people that I don't sponsor, but they lean on me. I'm constantly getting calls and I get leaned on and I have to mm -hmm. condition them. I have to condition them to say, I don't give advice. What I do is I give you my experience, strength, and hope. So my experience, strength, and hope is this. Number one, you have a reason to be here on earth. Enjoy it as much as you can. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. That is one of the biggest character defects that we as people, whether we're in these rooms or not, one of the biggest character defects is that we put too much credence on what someone thinks about us, who we are, where we're at, what we're doing. Uh, I would just say, forget that. It's not accomplishing anything. They're not paying your rent. They're not paying your car note. They're not feeding you forget them. If you're really struggling and you're suffering with this malady we call sex and love addiction, I would encourage you to go to the internet if you have to and look up SLAW and find a meeting, check it out. Don't give up. It can be a very difficult program because it's different than the beverage program. Like they say, you just put a cork in the jug and you stop drinking. This is a little bit more uh, deep because we're mm -hmm. really dealing with uh, feelings and emotions. I've been in recovery for 25 years in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous for 25 years. Has it been perfect? Hell no. It has not been perfect, but you know what? I know who I am. I knew where I was, and I know where I've come from, and I choose not to go back there. So whatever you do, check it out, and don't give up. Don't give up. And God loves you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're Thank welcome. you so dear. much, my dear friend. You're welcome. Um, I'm so grateful you came on and shared your experience, strength, and hope. All right. I love you, Brianne, and I'll see you in a meeting soon. <laughs> and if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.